But we're going we're gonna to look at Mark chapter 12, and um, we'll begin in verse 28. <clears throat> I'll go ahead and read it and remind us that this is God's Word. This is the claim of the Bible that it is God's Word for us. So with that in mind, let's, let's turn our attention to verse 28 of Mark chapter 12. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, Of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. This is God's word. If you would, uh, pray with me and uh, let's pray together before we consider this together. All right? Father, we... um, we desperately need you to be our teacher now as we, as we turn our attention to this and as we think about a topic um, that are really, that's really on everybody's mind. Uh, we would ask that you would help us, that you would engage us, that you would allow us to think biblically about an area that uh, just has a lot of confusion and a lot of uh, fear and a lot of pain and a lot of sadness connected to it. And so we really do need you to be our teacher. So Holy Spirit, come and unclog our ears and uh, open up our eyes so that we would see and that we would hear that which is beautiful and that which is good and that which is true. That's our prayer, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And so one of the things that we do here at RUF is that we gather around this text as a community to try and flesh out all the implications of what it means to love God and to love our neighbor. And this is what Jesus says here in this passage is sort of this central ethic of, of life. This is who you were created to be, and if you are a believer, this is who you were redeemed to be, is to be a lover of God and to be a lover of neighbor. And so um, because of the gospel, because of God's grace, what we do is now we try to think intentionally and creatively about what it looks like to live radically differently, meaning uh, to live a life that is dominated by love. And so one of the things that, we're, that we also do is, um, or at least what we're going to do tonight, is try to flesh out the implications of what it looks like to live a life of love in the context of dating. Now last week we began this discussion. Uh, if you weren't here last week, uh, all of our stuff is up on iTunes. We podcast this, so uh, just look at RUF, or RUF at App State, and you can kind of tune into what we discussed last week. But in case you missed it, basically what we did is we, we kind of looked at the issue of dating and how it's done, and we kind of identified some, some problems with it, largely that it's driven by insecurity. And so dating relationships become these play-pretend marriages just so that you have some semblance of security out of it, and it's just sort of... Uh, uh, riddled with problems. And so w- what we're going to do tonight is a little bit different. And I'll, and I'll tell you up front, um, because the Bible does not address dating explicitly, what we have to do is extract general biblical principles and then apply them into this area. And so again, up front, I'm just telling you, this does not, what, the conclusions that I've come to do not bear the weight of the authority of the Bible. You are free to disagree. You're free to dialogue. And we, of course, me or anybody on the REF staff would love to take you out to coffee or, or lunch and process these things with you. Because we're, we're kind of entering into the realm of speculation here. But what I want to do tonight is uh, just go ahead and jump in. And I didn't know how to really organize my thoughts in any sort of logical way. So this is going to kind of feel like a barrage coming at you. It's just going to feel like I'm spraying, you know, buckshot at you. Um, 
But um, I want to make six points tonight. Wow. Not three, not four, not five, but six. Six points. We'll be here for the next hour and a half. Um, no, we'll, bl- we'll blow through this quick. Here, here's the first point that I want to make. We need to, and you need to, behave consistently within the biblical roles that God has given us for single guy and girl relationships. I'll say it again. We need to behave consistently within the biblical roles of, guy, of single guy and girl relationships that God has given us. And here's what I mean. A lot, of my point, a lot of my thinking on this point has really been shaped by a friend of mine named Les Newsom. And we talked about this last week, and, and we're going to mention it again tonight. And I think he's right when he says that every relationship begs for a definition. Every relationship begs for a definition. If it's a parent-child relationship or if it's a student-professor relationship, if it's a husband-to-wife relationship, every relationship needs a definition to it. That's the first thing I want you to see. The second thing I want you to see is that with that definition, there are appropriate and inappropriate behaviors that go with that. With that relational definition, there is always appropriate and inappropriate behaviors connected to that. Let me give you a a lighthearted example and then a heavier one. For example, athletes. you know, football players, basketball players, you see them in the gym, you see them on, you know, the television. Um, when you see athletes uh, do something good, something spectacular, they usually jump up, give a chest bump of some sort, maybe even a little pat on the butt. And um, I want you to see that sort of behavior is appropriate for that relational definition. They're teammates, they're athletes, and chest bumping and butt patting is okay. If you were to take that behavior and apply it to a relationship of professor and student, (laughs) not okay, not good. There there is always some level of damage done whenever there are behaviors that are introduced to a relational definition uh, that are inappropriate for for those parameters. Here's a heavier example. For a husband and wife to have a, a sexual relationship with each other, that's entirely appropriate for that relational definition. But as soon as one of the um, parents initiate a sexual relationship with their children, unbelievable damage is done. Painful damage is inflicted upon that person because, because there is, there is, an, there is a, an inappropriate behavior that's being introduced into that relational definition. So this is basically the the premise that I'm trying to make, is that every relationship has a definition, and with it comes appropriate and inappropriate behaviors, that that if you don't abide by those appropriate behaviors, damage is inflicted. And when you boil all this down, biblically speaking, for a single guy and a single girl, you have three possible options. There are only really three biblical options of of how you can uh, identify yourself as a single guy and a girl. Here's the first one. Friends. You can be friends with each other. That relational definition is fairly obvious. This is sort of the baseline definition of what it means to relate to another human being is is as friends. And so the question is, okay, what are the appropriate behaviors to that relational definition? Well, um, I think first and foremost, it means that you act consistently with what it means to be friends. This is why friends with benefits makes no sense. It, it, It is doomed to failure, because if you are introducing any sort of sexual relationship or just making out with each other under the label of friends, 
this is going to blow up in your face. If it hasn't already, if you've, if you've participated in this, you know what I'm talking about. Or if you're in the middle of this and you don't think it's a big deal, let me just assure you, it's going to blow up in your face. At some level, there's going to be damage done because sexual relationship, making out with each other, that, that's inappropriate behavior for the context of friendship. Hopefully that makes sense. Here's the second category. Engaged. Engagement. This is a single guy and a single girl that are engaged to each other. So what are the appropriate behaviors for that relational definition? Well, they're having conversations about things that they normally wouldn't have about like planning their wedding and figuring out where they're gonna live and figuring out all that sort of stuff. As well as if they are moving towards each other to be kind of exclusively pledged to each other, I think it's inappropriate for the guy or for the girl to sort of foster and cultivate really intimate emotional relationships with other people of the opposite sex. They, they should be sort of you know, moving towards the other because they've set a time and date and they're moving towards that in marriage. I think that's fairly obvious. Here's the third category. It's other or not ready yet. And this is where it gets really complicated because for someone who is more than friends, biblically speaking, and yet not ready to get engaged, they fall into this third category of this in-between awkward zone called other or not ready to get married yet, not ready to get engaged yet. But what we want to do is we want to create a new biblical category called dating with its own expectations and its own assumptions and its own sort of appropriate behaviors and inappropriate behaviors. All I want you to see is biblically speaking, that's not a category. That's not a biblical label. It's only um, friends or engaged or this sort of in-between thing. And so if you're in this in-between thing where you're more than friends but you're not ready to get engaged yet, the question is, okay, well then what are the appropriate behaviors for that relational definition of other? Well, here's where you want me to answer the question, how far is too far, right? This is the question that always gets raised at this sort of point. How far can I go, Matt? And what you're basically asking is, how much can I do without feeling guilty about it? How much can I do without, with just for freeing my conscience of, now I don't have to feel guilty about this? And, and in all honesty, um, I think it's a bad question, and I'm not really going to spend a whole lot of time answering it. Primarily because here in a few weeks, we're going to spend two whole weeks dedicated just to sex and just to sexuality, and we'll kind of touch on those issues. But, but before we move on, I just want to leave you with this point. Uh, I think that you should love them as if you are dating someone else's future spouse. I think that those should be the appropriate behaviors. That what it would look like to love that person is to love them as if you are dating someone else's future spouse. We'll leave it there. Second point. Second of six. Question the assumptions of dating. This is the second point. Question the assumptions of dating. I love movies like Shutter Island and The Sixth Sense because basically uh, what's so great about these movies is, you know, the surprise ending at the end. 
hence the surprise ending. Okay. Um, but you know, you've seen these movies where you're watching it, and the whole time you're watching it, you have these assumptions in place that you, you weren't aware of, you didn't know were there until you got to the end, and the whole thing kind of blew up in your face because it exposed, oh, I thought this was happening. I thought he was just talking to his wife, and he's dead. You know, I, you know it's like it blows up all of these assumptions. Hopefully I didn't just, spoiler alert, I won't tell you which movie that was. Um, but, but you know what the, um, he sees dead people, sorry. Um, but, but, but this is the whole point of these movies is that it kind of blows up your assumptions that you didn't even know were there. And w- this is what I'm trying to say. In the same way, when you enter into a dating relationship, when you move into a dating relationship, you don't realize it, but there is an entire host of unarticulated assumptions that are in place. And here's what I mean by that. Uh, There are unwritten rules and unwritten laws that are there when you walk into a relationship. Let me give you an example. Um, You know, the guy says, hey, I texted you this morning and I didn't hear back from you. You didn't text back until this evening. I just thought, you know, if we're dating, I would have heard from you sooner than now. You see the assumption there. He's got an unwritten rule about text response time that she didn't know about, but he is applying. All sorts of unwritten rules like that. Or just sort of unwritten expectations and assumptions like, um, what do you mean that uh, you're going to hang out with your friends tonight? Uh, I just figured that since we're not doing anything that we would hang out with each other. Why are you just now telling me that you're hanging out with your friends? Unwritten assumption that we're going to hang out. It was never spoken. It was never articulated. It's just assumed I get your time. And what are you doing hanging out with your friends? You know that song that came out like, um, I don't know, if it was last year, a couple years ago, by Death Cab, I Will Possess Your Heart? You know what I mean? This is the idea of dating, is that I possess your heart. I possess you. You are mine. I am yours. And when you start thinking like that, when you start living in light of this sense of I have ownership over you, I have ownership over your time, I have ownership of the way that you relate to me, and I have ownership of the way that you relate to other people, you start thinking in terms of demands. You, you can make demands on them. And uh, this, is what I, this is what I mean when I say that, that there is just an entire host of expectations and assumptions that are in place when you walk into a dating relationship. And whenever one of the persons, one of the other people breaks one of these unwritten rules, then the other person starts sort of dishing out the punishments. And here's what I mean by that. It, it, this is really when all of your relationships start to experience conflict and drama and issues is when one of these rules gets broken and they didn't know that they were broken. And the punishment that, that comes out looks like the cold shoulder, pouting, shutting down completely and just not talking to the other person. And then when the other person says, what's wrong? And the answer is nothing. <laughs> Which is just another form of punishment of, I'm not going to talk to you and I want you to know that I'm upset, but I'm not going to talk about it. This is what I mean by we're punishing each other for, for that person for breaking some rule that they didn't even know they broke. That's sort of a passive form of punishment. But, but as you know, there can be very aggressive forms of punishment as well, where there is uh, you know, the serious fight with yelling and with screaming, where they can just drag on for days. You know, couples can throw and break things. Fists can go through walls. And here's all I want you to see is that um, we need to stop operating from within these sets of expectations and rules and assumptions, but rather take a step back and look at the whole thing and to question it. To basically say, do I really have the right 
to enforce on that person these sorts of rules and expectations? I don't think you do. I don't think that they owe you anything. Even if you're dating, they are not entitled to, to anything from you. And so basically, uh, what I want to say under this point is that if you are dating, you don't possess them. And, and therefore, you don't have the right to demand anything from them. If you want a healthy dating relationship, then uh, you've got to start begin to think about your relationship in terms of the fact that they're not yours. They are not yours, and you are not theirs. You do not possess their heart. You don't possess their time. You don't possess their body. The healthiest relationships that I have seen do not think in terms of rights, but think in terms of privileges. Thinking in terms of privileges, to to know that I'm not entitled to anything from them. And when you start thinking in terms of privileges, I, I think that your relationship will have so much more character to it. That's the second thing I want you to see, is to question the assumptions of dating. Here's the third point, three of six. Lighten up in dating. That's my third point, lighten up. I hear clapping over there. That is to say, two people going out on a date shouldn't be as intense as we like to make it out to be. A guy and a girl going out for a meal shouldn't be this super intense thing. And this pattern has largely been lost in our culture and in this room of guys asking girls out. And I don't think that that should be the case. But I know that the girls, I hear the ladies complain all the time, the guys never ask us out. They never do anything. They're lazy and immature. It's their fault. (laughs) And then I hear the guys complaining and say, well, we would ask them out if we knew that the second we did, everyone and their mother weren't going to make this enormous deal about it and generate all of this social buzz and try to figure out, what are they? Does he like you? Is he the one? Are y'all going to start marrying each other? I mean, there's all of this social pressure. You're going to start marrying each other. Um, but the guys complain that as soon as, as soon as he makes an advancement towards a girl, the girl turns into this like CSI detective where she's trying to piece together the clues of what is this? Does he like me? You know, he just waved hello to me. Does that mean he's the one? Like, what is that? And so here's, here, here's what I want to do. I want to encourage y'all to turn the pressure valve down, release the pressure valve of what a date is. That a date can really just be a guy and a girl casually spending time with each other and getting to know each other. And if that's what we believe that it was, that wouldn't generate all of the social buzz from the ladies, and the guys would feel much more comfortable and confident and less fearful and terrifying to ask a girl out. That's what it would look like. But people, I've told this to guys before, and they always push back on me, and they say, Matt, that's a nice dream world that you live in where a guy can ask a girl out and, not, and everybody's not going to read into it, but that's just not the way that it works. Here's what I want to say. Well, then change the way that it works. I really do think that, that we should see a movement of change in the area of dating, and I really do want to challenge you to be the front runners in it to say, okay, we should probably start thinking about how we do dating differently. And as people who love Jesus and people who are wrestling to love Jesus, we should be the ones doing that. And so here's, all that's me is to say lighten up, which means guys, you have to start asking girls out. And girls, you have to start going out with them. (laughs) You have to. I mean, guys, Andy Bernard on The Office figured this out. I'll 
I, I want to read you. I want to read you one of his monologues. He says, um, he says, I like Aaron. You know, Aaron, the receptionist. I like Aaron. There, I said it. I was kind of hoping she would ask me out, but things did not pan out on that front. So. It's time for the nard dog to take matters into his own paws. <laughs> so here's what I want to do. I want to, be, I want to get very practical and help you gentlemen out so you can take matters into your own paws. And this is, this is, um, this is to be very practical and a bit pejorative. But guys, here is how you ask a girl out on a date. Let me break it down for you. Here's how you do this, step by step. Take some notes. You call them up or you ask them in person. You do not text them and you do not Facebook them to go out with you. If, if a guy, if my daughter Zoe Kate grows up and some dude asks her out on a date via text message, I will tell her do not waste your time with that tool shed. <laughs> do not text the girl, do not Facebook the girl. When you call them or when you talk to them, do not ask them the question, what are you doing this weekend? Bad question. Here is why. Because what if she really wants to go out with you, but she, you, you make her look like a tool shed herself if she says nothing? Like, I'm a loser. I don't do anything on the weekends. <laughs> But what if she really wants to go out with you, but she has plans, and so she says, oh, this weekend I've got that sorority function, and then you think, oh, she's dodging me, she doesn't like me, okay, that's over. Bad question. Do not ask her, what are you doing this weekend? Here's what you ask. You, you grow up, and you assume the risk yourself, and you say, would you like to go on a date with me this Friday night? And you call it a date. Otherwise, she's going to be doing the CSI thing, trying to figure out, is this, is this a date? Are we friends? Is he going to pay for this? He just grazed my shoulder. Are we going to kiss at the end of the night? Like, what is this? You call it a date. Girls, when the guy asks you out, which I really hope he does, you have two options. This is rocket science. You can say yes, or you can say no. Do not say yes if what you really want to say is no. Guys, am I right? There is nothing more frustrating than for a girl to say yes and then give you the runaround and like well, you never schedule it and you try to schedule it and she always pushes it back and then when you actually do sort of settle it and you're there on the date, she's obviously very distant and cold and disinterested and you're like, why did you say yes to this? If you're going to say yes, have it be yes. Do not say yes and then say no. Um, if your answer is no, then what you say, ladies, is, you know, thank you for the invitation. I'm very flattered. I'm not interested in going on a date with you this weekend. That's being honest. Thank you. I'm flattered. What's wrong with that? Guys, guys, if she says that, you are not allowed to vomit your insecurities on top of her and ask her why. And you're not allowed to feel, you know, angry about it. You're not allowed to be angry about it. You're not allowed to be, you know, overly sulky and pouty about it because she doesn't owe you anything. If she says, I'm flattered, thank you, but I'm not interested, then guys, respect her answer and enjoy her friendship. If she says yes, guys, here is what you do. You pick her up and you take her out and you get to know each other. That's it. 
I mean, the whole purpose of dating is really trying each other on for marriage. And, and if it's that, if, it's, if we release the pressure valve, it doesn't have to be the super intense, dramatic thing where you're always wondering, is this the one? Is he like me? We're going to tell everybody about it. But it's really two people casually getting to know each other. And, and uh, I think every dating relationship in this room and on campus would benefit from living out those two words. Lighten up. Lighten up. You're not married. Stop acting like it. But what this means, guys, is that you are going to be the ones that have to actually step up and ask a girl out on a date. This is what this is going to mean for you. And if you say, but everyone's going to start talking, okay, put your big boy pants on. And be confident in who you are in Jesus. Be secure with what your intentions are and say, I don't care what other people are going to say. I want to get to know this person. And then ask them out. Guys, ladies, this is, not, this is not the Bible, but it's my opinion that I think that you should say yes to the first date. It's just my humble opinion that I think that you should say yes because it's going to give him confidence and more, more guys will start asking other girls out and you never know, you may like him. <laughs> you may sit down and find out, oh, I thought this guy was a nerd and I'm actually really enjoying this. Say yes. Fourth point. Fourth point of six. We're halfway there, but this will be a quick one. Dating is a communal activity. <laughs> Yes, I said it. <laughs> dating is a communal activity. And all I mean by that is that dating should be done within the context of community. I said this a few weeks ago, uh, so I'm not going to go into a huge lot of detail about it. But when you enter into a dating relationship, you do not have the objective clarity that you think you do. You do not know what is going on. And so what you have to do is that you have to involve other people in your relationship. Do your friends like the person that you're dating? Do you ask them... How do you feel about how we are doing? Because they have a better read on what's going on with your relationship better than you do. If you don't believe me, I'll prove it. This is why we love the first few episodes of American Idol. Because somebody comes on the show who genuinely thinks they're a good singer. (laughs) And it takes a panel of outsiders looking in and say, you suck as a singer. And it's the same principle when it comes to dating. You may think that the thing is healthy, the thing is going great, and if all of your friends looking in say, this thing is radically dysfunctional, you need to break up now. You need to break up now. And the question is, do you have like two or three people that you have given an all-access pass into your relationship where they know what's going on and they can speak decisively into it? If you do not have two or three people that you've given that pass to, you need to. Especially if you're already in a relationship. That's all I'm going to say about that. Fifth point. You marry who you date. You marry who you date. There's not one example in all of Western civilization of someone who got married and they didn't first date. Western civilization. You marry who you date. And I want to draw an implication out of this that you're really not going to like. But that's okay. Send me your hate mail and we'll talk over coffee. (laughs) The Bible says that um, because of what the Bible says about who you can marry, namely that only believers can marry believers, that only Christians can marry Christians, because of what the Bible says about that, therefore Christians can only date Christians. 
Christians cannot date unbelievers. Now, I know, especially if you are someone who is wrestling with Christianity or maybe just doesn't consider yourself a Christian, that sounds unbelievably offensive and arrogant. Before you throw stuff at me, let me try to explain, because this is going to make sense to you, I think. When um, you believe the gospel as a Christian, this totally rewrites the operating system of your life. This isn't like a little app, a little additional add-on, and a little religious accessory to your life. When you become a Christian, it, it totally rewires everything in you. So you start thinking about things very differently. And so a Christian and a non-Christian are going to approach fundamental issues of life radically differently. How do you, how do you, how do, you do encouragement in light of suffering? How will you do conflict when that pops up? How will you do forgiveness? How will you, do, uh, how will you think about money and how you spend your money, how you give away your money? How do you think about success and failure? All of these issues are fundamental issues of life that the Christian worldview and any other worldview have opposing opinions on. I mean, Catherine and I know of families in this situation, and it's really, it's really sad. And so put yourself in a situation of this is a family that we know where um, the woman goes to church by herself and the husband stays at home. She wants to teach uh, her kids about Jesus and about God and about the Bible, and the husband's opposed to it. Whenever conflict happens, whenever she gets hurt, whenever uh, you know, he gets hurt, which is inevitably going to happen in any relationship, you know, there's no real repentance and, 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 and confession and forgiveness there. And so put yourself in those shoes and to say, we're going to approach life radically differently when we get married. And even right now, I mean, think of it like a Venn diagram, because I'm not, I'm not trying to suggest that Christians and, and, and unbelievers have nothing in common. That's not what I'm saying. There's definite overlap. So if you think about a Venn diagram, you think of two circles, right? On the left, it's different. Right, different in the middle. There's similarities. <laughs> If a, um, a Christian is in a romantic relationship with someone who's not a Christian, you, you have two options. Option one is to fight and to argue about the discrepancies. Or option two is that you only talk about what you agree on. You either fight about the discrepancies or you only talk about what you agree on. And so this basically means option one is that you disagree over the fundamental issues of life. Option two is that you just ignore your views about the fundamental issues of life and just cohabitate and agree not to talk about it. I hope you see both of those options are bad options. Even if you are an unbeliever in the room, this applies to you as well to say, if I'm going to marry someone who's radically different from me, this means that we're arguing about what is most important or we ignore what is most important. Bad options. Send me your hate mail. We'll grab coffee. Here's the last point. Sixth thing, seek the king and the kingdom first. Seek the king and the kingdom first. In Matthew 6, Jesus is talking about how much people worry. That we worry about food, we worry about our bodies, we worry about our clothes, we worry about everything because we don't really trust that God is for us and will actually care for us. But what Jesus does is he says in Matthew 6, 33, I'll just read it, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. And so I want to wrap this up just by asking you a question. How do you prepare for a healthy dating relationship right now? How do you prepare for a healthy relationship right now? If your answer is, well, I need to start tanning, I need to start working out, I need to start getting a good job, those are helpful. Those are good things. 
me with the tanning. But, um, but what, what you have to see is that what Jesus does is he says, you need to seek first the kingdom. You need to seek first the king and the kingdom. And so the way that you prepare for a godly, healthy relationship in the future is that right now you start pursuing Jesus. Okay, what does that look like? It means that you meditate on and you relish in continually his grace for you. Because these six, these six things that I've just laid, it, laid out right here, if this was the standard of our righteousness, I mean, we would be crushed, right? I mean, we suck at this. We are not good at this. We would be crushed. But thankfully, in God's grace, what he has done is that he has crushed Jesus on the cross for people like us who suck at relationships and who date terribly and who are selfish and prideful and lustful and greedy and just make a mess of all of our relationships. But Jesus was crushed for us. And the more that you begin to meditate on and relish in and to enjoy his grace for you, you know what your response is going to be? You're going to love the Lord with all of your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. And you're going to want to love your neighbor as yourself. It is only in response to his grace towards you that you begin to live this life of love, of putting other people before you and and living life radically differently, where dating looks radically different than it does. And so the question that I want to leave you with is this, not are you going to be a better dater? Are you going to start cleaning up your act? Are you going to start stopping this and start doing this? That's not the question I'm leaving you with. The question is this, will you seek the king and his kingdom? Will you seek the king and his king right now? That's the question. Let me pray. Father, there really is, I mean, there's just so much to think about. And I know that a lot of what was just said just feels weighty and it just feels like a a bomb to try to sort out. But above all, Father, I pray that you would convince us that you love, that you love sinful and broken people like us. Give us the grace to respond uh, to your love uh, towards us with a new love for you and for other people. Help us to live a life in light of your grace to us in Jesus. That's our prayer. We would ask in Jesus' name. Amen.